0: You're tuned to WFHB,
1: 91.3
0: and 98.1 FM.
1: Volunteer-powered,
0: listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana.
2: Welcome to WFHB's Daily Local News.
3: Written and produced entirely by volunteers from the Bloomington community.
2: And supported by the generosity of listeners like you.
3: Good afternoon from the studios of Community Radio 91.3 FM, reporting live for WFHB. This is Janae Cummings.
1: And I'm Kelly Worley. This is the Daily Local News for Wednesday, August twenty fourth, 2016.
4: What can I do for my life? What can I do for my work?
1: What can I do for my whatever
4: that uses some fun creativity tool?
1: Inventors, programmers, builders, and artists are preparing for the annual Makevention this weekend in Bloomington. We get a behind-the-scenes look later in the show in today's WFHB Community Report.
3: Also coming up in the next half hour, a new edition of our Consumer Watchdog segment, Better Beware. But first, your daily headlines.
1: Indiana University Bloomington is denying that it violated Title IX in a case involving a former IU student and Delta Tau Delta fraternity member. Title IX is a federal law requiring universities to prevent and address sexual misconduct on their campuses. The case involves John Enix, who was charged with two counts of rape in September of 2015, both involving separate victims in separate instances. Enix was eventually sentenced on June 23rd of this year to one year of probation for misdemeanor battery with moderate bodily injury. He served one day in jail. A statement from the Monroe County Prosecutor's Office read, quote, Neither case, standing alone, presented sufficient evidence to prove rape, unquote. The recent announcement from IU Bloomington comes after one of the victims filed a federal lawsuit in June 2016 alleging university officials and administrators, quote, showed deliberate indifference and condoned Delta Tau Delta fostering an environment of illegal and dangerous activity as well as sexual assault, unquote. A statement from IU earlier this summer said, "The university utilizes robust processes that are designed to support victims while, at the same time, affording due process to those accused of misconduct." Unquote. The lawsuit also names the Beta Alpha Shelter of Delta Tau Delta fraternity and its umbrella organization, Delta Tau Delta, as defendants, according to RTV6. Attorneys from Delta Tau Delta filed a motion earlier this month asking the judge to drop the charges against them, stating that the prosecution has failed to show the fraternity had a duty to protect the victim from, quote, criminal acts of third parties, unquote. A hearing is set for September 27th in federal court.
3: Once again, Indiana University Bloomington is included in the Campus Pride list of the top lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or LGBTQ friendly colleges and universities. Founded in in 2001, Campus Pride is a national nonprofit network of student leaders and campus groups committed to improving college life for LGBTQ students. The organization's best of the best list is based on a self-assessment survey of LGBTQ friendly benchmarks for policies, programs, and practices in higher education. Colleges with 807 to 45,000 students are included. IU made the list of the top 30 LGBTQ friendly colleges in 2011, 2012, 2014, and 2015, receiving a top rating of five stars in 2011.
1: The bicentennial class of 2020 at Indiana University claims the highest grade point average and the highest average SAT-ACT scores on record. According to a press release from the university, new student enrollment is estimated at 7,783. 57% of first-year newcomers coming from Indiana, 34% from other states, and 9% are international students. This year's freshman class has a median grade point average of 3.79, a new record for IU. More students from underrepresented minority groups have enrolled, and support for need-based and low-income students broadened through the Pell Promise Program, Indiana's 21st Century Scholars Program, and IU's 21st Century Covenant Award Program.
3: The Indiana vaping lobby is turning up the heat on lawmakers they say put illegal restrictions on their business. And now the industry group, Hoosier Vapers says the FBI has contacted them to investigate potential wrongdoing. The group's president, Evan McMahon, has been outspoken about Indiana's law regulating e-liquid manufacturing. The law, which was amended this year, has forced most of the state's vape manufacturers out of business. Only seven businesses remain, and they are all required to hire the same security firm. McMahon says he expected federal law enforcement might be interested in the case.
0: It wasn't really a surprise that the FBI was calling. I think actually the bigger surprise is why it took this long for them to call. You know, there's a lot of things about how this law happened and how it only benefits a few.
3: The FBI does not confirm or deny the existence of investigations, but the Indy Star has reported that a state senator also reported being questioned by an agent about the issue. McMahon says he doesn't have knowledge about any specific wrongdoing that might have occurred during the writing and passage of the law, only suspicions.
0: It just smells fishy. I like to believe that when a legislator says that they're doing this, um, because they want to protect you know consumers, they want to make a stable, safe environment, I'd like to believe that, but the law and the way it was done and the way it was promoted, the way it was enforced, just seems suspect. There are too many powerful people who are the only beneficiaries of it, and so it just seems like there's there's something more there. You know right now we see the smoke. I don't know if there's actually fire.
3: The state law requires e-liquid manufacturers to be certified by a security firm, but the law also sets very specific standards for which security firms can do that work, and only one Lafayette-based company meets those standards.
0: There was only one security company in the entire country that we were required to do business with under the law. Uh, this was the only company that could meet the requirements set by the state of Indiana, so we had to contract with them. They, in turn, we were not able or would not work with, you know, obviously every manufacturer in the, in the country. And so this created an unfair market where only a select few were able to continue to operate or sell their products in Indiana.
3: McMahon is the owner of Liberation Vape, an e-liquid manufacturer that was formerly based in Indianapolis. He moved to Dayton, Ohio after the law was passed. Hoosier Vapers currently has a lawsuit pending against the state government seeking to overturn the vape manufacturing restrictions. Reporting live for WFHB, I'm Janae Cummings.
1: And I'm Kelly Worley. Fans of the maker movement and those just curious about creative approaches to tools and materials will find inspiration and entertainment this Saturday at Makevention, Bloomington's annual maker fair featuring the work of area inventors, programmers, builders, and artists. The free all-ages event, now in its fourth year, takes place at the Monroe County Convention Center in downtown Bloomington and is presented by local hackerspace Blooming Labs at Monroe County Public Library. WFHB correspondent Ryan Stacy, who is also a writer and online content specialist at the library, has more.
5: If you like to see the power of imagination and the products of people who put in the hard work to make their imagination come to life, that's what I've seen at most of Makevention.
0: Well, it's all kinds of different maker movement things from the very low tech to the very high tech. So there's something for everyone and something you can learn and cool people
5: to see and things to try. So it's definitely worth it.
4: If you have any interest in seeing like how things work or how things are made and trying things out yourself, I would say come by.
6: Those are just a few of the people involved in Makevention 2016, our community's annual maker fair, happening this Saturday at the convention center in Bloomington. At MakeVention, inventors, programmers, craftspeople, and artists gathered to share with the rest of us what they're passionate about creating and invite us to join in. The idea for a large scale maker fair was born out of a conversation between Blooming Labs, a local hackerspace, and development leaders at the city of Bloomington.
7: When they were first talking about the tech park, so you know, this was like four or five years ago, they invited Blooming Labs to weigh in.
6: That's Jeanette Tillotson, co founder of Blooming Labs
7: that we were just talking about different things and mentioned, you know, we could have a maker fair and they were very excited about that idea.
6: Since then visitors of all ages have given Makevention a big thumbs up every
7: year. There was a lot more people last year than there were the first year. So yeah, we're growing. Uh, exhibitor wise, so I'd say the number of exhibitors has stayed pretty steady. And it's between twenty five and thirty.
6: That's a lot of really smart, really talented people under one roof. Some of them are into high tech, like Quadrangles, a high school club who makes their own robot. But there's a surprising number of makers who focus on traditional crafts and older technologies too. Heath, who will be running the Blooming Labs booth again this year, gives me a rundown of the different types of creators you'll find at Makevention.
4: Some of us are programmers, some are metal workers, uh, some know automotive. So we'll have the laser cutter there for sure. We'll have some 3D printers there for sure. We typically have a lock picking village. We've had a book binder there. We've had um, puzzles, I believe leather workers, jewelry makers, all over the spectrum.
6: Kayla is someone finding her place on that spectrum. She says she's looking forward to showing people how she crafts metal into beautiful objects for Florum, her handmade jewelry business, at her first Make MakeVenture.
0: I'd had some uh, friends tell me that it might be something I'd be interested in and I really think the movement is cool because we're pulling all these handmade people together and I think it's really neat to uh, kind of get back to the basics of how you make something and where things come from.
6: Asha and her husband Sam, also first-timers at MakeVenture, been creating together for a long time, but they didn't know how organized the maker movement is until recently. To be perfectly honest, we found
5: out oh about it at God. the beginning of the month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so
1: we're just discovering that there is a thing called makers, I guess, and and it's been from what I know going on for years now. But we just thought we were weird creative types, you know, <laughs> and then we discovered that there were these other people who were also like us. <laughs>
6: Stories like these don't surprise Jeanette Tillotson at all.
7: Bloomington, Indiana, is like it's like the perfect community for the maker movement. Um, you know, first off, there's a large art community here, and that a lot of that community uses digital fabrication, like 3D printers, or screen printing, laser cutters, CNCs, to do their art. There's also a large interest in recycling things and upcycling things to reduce waste, right? Live more sustainably. And then as a college town, of course, we're a community that likes to learn and explore and build and make. So it's, it's a kind of a natural fit.
6: And she says visitors to Makevention aren't the only ones who are amazed and inspired by what they see there.
7: The, the, the exhibitors get a lot out of Makevention just by being with the other makers. So a lot of collaborations come out of this, which I, I, I think that's really cool.
6: Nick a longtime member of Blooming Labs, agrees.
5: The number one reason why I think make inventions interesting is you'll come across things that you never thought, gee, somebody could make those. I need to make those too. Wouldn't that be fun? Or there'll be some little method that you had never heard of before. Or a device and you're like, oh my gosh, this device is actually so simple, I could make one of those.
6: That spirit of learning from each other and collaborating comes up again and again as kind of a hacker ethos that says, you share what you learn with other people so that they can build on it too. That's part of the appeal for Max, who's 15 and into making stuff. He hasn't exhibited at Makevention yet, but he's met a lot of people there who have been generous with their ideas and advice.
5: I mainly
0: just went up and asked, talked about uh, how I do similar things, and tried to just to sort of delve into what their thought process was when they created this. Try to just get ideas.
6: Max is a regular at the ground floor and Level Up, two creativity spaces at Monroe County Public Library where making of all kinds is encouraged and fostered. After updating its mission statement a few years back to include creating and hosting a bunch of Blooming Labs workshops for the public, the library is now an official partner with Blooming Labs on Makevention. For Kevin McDowell, the strategist overseeing the library's creativity spaces, the library's role reflects its commitment to making as a crucial literacy for 21st century citizens. Basically, the the activities of reading and the activities of uh, of making things have a lot of the same outcomes. You know, you're, you're, you're still going to change as a person, grow as a person, learn skills. So what we want to do at Makevention is help people realize that we've got more than books these days. That's something Adam Maltese, faculty at IU Bloomington, wants to help bring to the American K 12 curriculum. Adam runs The Mill, a makerspace inside IU's School of Education, to encourage future teachers to develop ideas for integrating making into the classroom.
5: Generally, s- schools and education people task them with trying to get kids prepared for the future that they'll face when they get out. And so, From that technical aspect and from the digital literacy aspect, the world that that is facing them now and will face them when they leave is going to be something that is more tech-driven.
6: Adam says he hopes people visiting the Mills booth at Makevention come away with an appreciation for equal access to making activities in formal education.
5: Some of the work that we're trying to do that other folks are definitely doing around the country is really trying to make sure that this is not just a Furthering those who have from those who have not, but really allowing everyone to get access to this. And that's where I think the libraries can play a huge, and schools can play a huge role, in it, since they interfa- interface with everybody in the
6: community. For educators like Denise Lessau at Bloomington's Pinnacle School, making in the classroom can be especially valuable for students coping with certain learning disabilities.
7: Um, we work primarily with students with dyslexia. But there's such a strong correlation between dyslexia and really right brain spatial thinking so that we have found our collaboration with Blooming Labs and Makevention to be very important, actually. And for the last two years, we've had a makerspace at Pinnacle, and it's integrated as part of our curriculum.
6: Creativity through making activities can even make businesses more successful, according to Andrew Lambert, marketing director for Creative Indiana, an organization dedicated to helping people use the power of creativity to enrich their work and their
4: lives. What can I do for my life? What can I do for my work? What can I do for my whatever that uses some fun creativity tool? We want people to approach our booth when this is happening with those type of questions. So, Creative Indiana is a perfect fit for that, because of that reason. Makevention to us, and and we just talked about this at our last board meeting, if this isn't a centerpiece for creativity, we don't know what is. And it's fun! Get ready to just open your mind, walk in there, and try to solve a problem, and have fun in the process. You know, when you come to Makevention, make sure that you're there to have a good time.
6: More information about MakeVention can be found at makevention.org. From Monroe County Public Library, I'm Ryan Stacy.
1: Among the highlights at this year's Maker Faire are robotics and virtual reality demos, an outdoor human foosball table and a 10-year anniversary exhibit by Trash and Refashion, Bloomington's annual runway show featuring clothing made from discarded items. Makevention is 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. this Saturday, August 27th, at 302 South College Avenue in Bloomington. All ages are welcome, and admission and parking at the convention center are free. Local food trucks and other vendors will be on-site. More information about Makevention can be found at makevention.org.
3: Up next, our weekly consumer watchdog segment, Better Beware.
7: Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket.
2: Maybe it goes... Or maybe it goes... Or maybe it's more like... But whatever it sounds like, when your phone rings, way too often, it's going to be a call you don't want. A sales call, a con artist, or worst of all, a robocall. Robocalls are the number one complaint to the FCC these days. Of course, the best thing you can do right now is to look at your caller ID before answering the phone. If you don't see a number you recognize, don't answer let them leave a message. Sales calls and robocalls can be erased with the touch of a button. But sometimes the con artists can leave a message that has you wondering if you should respond. The Indiana Attorney General has just published some good ways to spot a con artist from the area code on the caller ID. The problem is, of course, that sophisticated grifters can spoof the caller ID and make it show anything they want. Still, they don't always do that or sometimes they do it in a stupid and obvious way. Area codes like 000 or 123 are probably scams. Area code 202 is Washington, D.C. And if you're not expecting a call from our nation's capital, that's probably a scam as well. Area code 876 is Jamaica, man. oh yeah. There's been a plague of sweepstakes scam calls from Jamaica, over 1,500 complaints from Indiana alone. Most people don't know that it's illegal to enter an overseas sweepstakes from America. If the Feds find out, you pay a hefty fine. And if you actually win anything, which you won't, they can confiscate that and then make you pay taxes on it. If the caller ID shows your own number or one very close to your number, beware. There's a program that reads your caller ID and displays what looks like a local number. If you don't recognize it, don't answer it. Robocalls are a plague. Some are actually legal but unwanted, like telemarketers and opinion surveys, and some you might actually want, like an emergency notification or an all-clear. But millions of them are illegal, stealing money and identities, or breaking the Do Not Call law. Now, there's some good news. Last week, the FCC activated its RoboCall Strike Force, a partnership with Apple, Google, Microsoft, Comcast, Verizon, and two dozen other companies led by the CEO of AT&T. Within 60 days, they will come up with initial plans to block robocalls, defeat caller ID spoofing, identify the crooks, and go after them. And they'll recommend the best ways for the federal government to support this effort. FCC Chairman Tim Wheeler says, quote, this has to be multi-carrier, cross-carrier, and a community solution, End quote. It's not simple, but it is a start.
3: You've been listening to the Daily Local News and WFHB. Today's headlines were written by Joe Crawford, Joshua Fleck, and Kathy Norton, along with Sarah Vaughn for Cats Week in partnership with Community Access Television Services. Better Beware was produced by Richard Fish. Our feature was produced by Ryan Stacey.
1: Our engineers today are Heather Perry and Rob Schoon. Our theme music is provided by The Impossible Shapes. Executive producer is Joe Crawford. For WFHB, this is Kelly Worley.
3: And I'm Janae Cummings. Thank you for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program, recognized among the best newscasts in 2015 by the Indiana Chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists.
1: You can be a part of our award-winning news team. Send inquiries to news at wfhb.org. Stay tuned for Standing Room Only, our award-winning weekly lecture series coming up next on WFHB.
4: The Daily Local News is produced by a staff of over 50 volunteers. Working
0: in the WFHB News and Public Affairs Department, comments, suggestions, and story ideas may be submitted directly to our news staff via email. The address is news at wfhb.org.